You're listening to the Ashwagandha Advantage Podcast with Francine Schoenwetter, Content Marketing Director. This podcast is sponsored by KSM 66, the world's best ashwagandha. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Fran Schoenwetter, Director, Content Marketing. Joining us on the phone today is Dr. Nick Bitz, ND. We'll be speaking about the Ayurvedic approach to stress and how ashwagandha in particular has been used traditionally and can be used today in product formulations to support stress. A little bit more about our speaker. Nick is a licensed board certified naturopathic doctor who specializes in Ayurveda, formerly in clinical practice. Today, Dr. Bitz spends his time researching and formulating. He currently serves as Chief Scientific Officer for NutriWise, developing nutritional products under the Youth Theory brand. Nick completed his undergraduate studies at the University of Denver, where he received a dual degree in human biology and cognitive neuroscience. He went on to earn his medical degree from Bastyr University and completed his medical residency at the Riverwalk Natural Health Clinic in Vail, Colorado. We really are pleased to have Nick with us today. So, Nick, I'd like to start um, uh, by asking you a little bit of uh, your perspective uh, as a clinician. And uh, being that you were a clinician and practitioner first, can you talk to us about how Ayurveda views the concept of stress? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. So, you know, stress is a highly subjective, highly variable phenomenon. Um, it really defies definition, and I think that you can Google the term and you can come up with probably a hundred different definitions of what is stress. But ultimately, Ayurveda looks at stress as really just kind of anything that aggravates biological energies in the body. So they call these things doshas. So you probably heard vata, pitta, kapha. So that really is a primary focus in Ayurvedic medicine. So they say anything that can aggravate or change or alter the doshas inside your body um, really is defined as stress. And so from a, a clinical standpoint, you need to look at the constitutional uh, makeup of an individual to understand how stress impacts them. So. As I mentioned, there's really three main doshas, according to Ayurveda. There's vata, there's pitta, there's kapha. So if a person is predominantly vata in constitution, they're going to respond to stress in a very specific manner. Um, so as an example, if they get stressed out, um, you know, let's say uh, somebody's driving fast behind them and riding um, on their tail on the way to work this morning, um, you know, they basically experience stress as anxiety. Um, so they start to have this inner quaking, this quivering feeling inside their body. Whereas somebody who's pitta would experience that in a different way. They would actually become angry and they would erupt like a volcano. And then the other type, the kapha type, would actually internalize that stress. Um, and then they would just basically... Uh, take in those emotions and deal with them on their own. So Ayurveda really is personalized in terms of how they view stress. It's all based upon these, these three doshas, really, that are in the body. And ultimately, the goal then is to know that if you're a vata constitution, that you need to take care of vata. So you do these things that 
reduce vata in the body. So you eat a vata reducing diet. You you know you meditate. You slow down. You ground yourself. You do warming, nourishing things. So ultimately, that is how Ayurveda looks at stress. They look at how it impacts the dosha energies inside the body. So Ayurveda is looking at an individual's constitution, but a practitioner would also look at their condition in light of their constitution. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that dynamic and also how that works with modern Western views today. Is it compatible? Yeah, you know, they're they're slightly different lenses. You know, I, I would say that in, in a clinical setting, um, if you work with anybody who has an Ayurvedic understanding, they're going to do uh, pulse diagnosis, face diagnosis, and they're really going to look at your constitutional makeup. And that's primarily their focus. And then their whole treatment plan, so to speak, is really just to maintain the balance of the vata, pitta, kapha inside your body. So Western science and, and Western health practitioners tend to look a little bit differently. Um, you know, they, they take a much more um, kind of biochemical or scientific uh, viewpoint of stress. So they, they like to look at stress as something that's actually measurable. Um, so they, they, they tend to look at these things that can be tested in a lab or that can be studied. So their definition of stress uh, from a Western standpoint is very different. You know, they, they look at stress as anything that incites the sympathetic nervous response, which then is your fight or flight response. And we know that the fight or flight response inside the body really activates the adrenal glands to secrete stress hormones, namely cortisol and the catecholamines, which are adrenaline and norepinephrine. So they take a very chemical viewpoint of that. And they, they say, look, we know that you've been under chronic stress. You have elevated cortisol levels. We need to bring the cortisol down specifically. So they're not necessarily looking at your body type. They're looking at cortisol. And they're really focused on how can we bring down cortisol in your life. So what are some of the, what are some of the uh, tactics uh, from an Ayurvedic point of view that are meeting the Western market today? I know that adaptogens is a little buzzy for, for many people in the market, but uh, so they're certainly gaining lots of interest. But um, can you talk a little bit about um, just about that approach and uh, how, well, not only adaptogens, but uh, elaborate more on adaptogens and why they're gaining so much interest and, and how that meets, how they're meeting that need in between that Western and Ayurvedic approach? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think both the Ayurvedic viewpoint and the Western viewpoint, they look at stress in a similar manner, meaning they, they view stress as being one of the greatest threats to our, our, our mental, emotional, physical well-being. And, and they think that stress is a modifiable variable. So, so they both have that viewpoint. I think they, they both come at it different ways. But adaptogens um, are unique because they kind of straddle both areas. Um, you know, they're not entirely Ayurvedic and they're not entirely Western. I think they fall somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, adaptogens have 
the idea of adaptogens really have been around since the 50s. Um, it was kind of um, a term or a category of, of herbs that, that was invented by the Russians. So um, oddly, the Russians did a lot of research on adaptogens in the 50s to understand how they could get a, a physical, a mental, um, a psychological advantage over other countries. You know, so they're, they're cosmonauts, they're soldiers, they're Olympic athletes. They were all using adaptogens um, before anybody in the Western world really was. But of course, adaptogens um, is a very, it's a very broad idea and a very broad term. Um, you know, we know that there are 16 known adaptogens right now. And by definition, an adaptogenic herb has three qualities. So it's number one, it's non-toxic to the body. So it can be taken every single day without any adverse influences. Um, number two, it has a very non-specific effect inside the body. So meaning that it works globally to kind of balance the body systems overall and hormones overall. And then number three is that it helps to create uh, homeostasis in the body when the body's under distress or under stressful conditions. So there are 16 plants that do that. Um, some of those plants come from the Ayurvedic tradition. And, and you know, again, the Ayurvedic tradition is, is incredibly old. It's been around for, you know, they say 5,000 years. And, um, you know, in that tradition, they don't frame these botanicals as quote-unquote adaptogens. They frame them a little bit differently. Um, as an example, in Ayurveda, they frame adaptogens as rasayanas. And rasayana is just this elite class of herbs that is super rejuvenating to the body. So they can, um, they have this kind of anti-aging effect and, and they're kind of magical in terms of their, their health promoting properties the more you take them. So that's how Ayurvedic, herb, uh, Ayurvedic medicine looks at these adaptogens, but there's, there's a lot of overlap. And again, you know, if we talk about just ashwagandha, which is, you know, perhaps the trendiest botanical right now and uh, has a lot of the most uh, interest right now from the scientific community, um, it really is just covering all of these things beautifully. I mean, it's, it's covering stress, it's covering Ayurveda, it's covering Western medicine. It's, it really has its foot in all of these areas, um, which, is, which is really neat. Can you talk a little bit more about Rasayana and, um, and the, the, the historic use of, of ashwagandha and, and its characterization as such? Yeah, so, so Rasayana um, is a Sanskrit word. It's actually two words, Rasa and Ayana. And Rasayana, essentially, uh, it, it means rejuvenation. But Rasa means many things in Sanskrit. It can mean gold, or it can mean juice. It can mean water. It can mean, um, you know, nectar. Um, it has kind of these magical... Um, properties associated to it. And then ayana means vehicle. So anything that's a rasayana really is a vehicle for these kind of health-promoting nutrients. So, you know, ashwagandha is considered one of these uh, uh, rasayana therapies, but there's a lot of other botanicals and mineral substances such as shilajit um, that, that fit into this category as well. So the more that you take these Rasayana substances, um, we know that they improve the quality of your tissues overall. 
and ultimately they, they help to revitalize your cells and they, they increase your lifespan. Um, you know, there's, there's different Rasayanas for different purposes. Um, there's some that improve vitality, some that improve longevity, some that are for the mind um, and improve intelligence. Um, but ultimately they all um, have really one thing in common is that they're just these rejuvenating substances. Um, in terms of sexual health, Rasayanas tend to have this aphrodisiac-like quality, so they can revitalize, um, you know, aging sexual organs, um, and they can they can make people feel a little bit more vital overall. Mm-hmm. So, ashwagandha definitely fits into that category very nicely. Um, and you know, Rasayana is it's it's a super esoteric, almost alchemy, if you will but it's one of the eight branches of Ayurveda. So it's this very well-developed um, form of medicine. Um, it's, it's, again, super esoteric, and there's very few individuals right now in the world who are experts in this area, but the knowledge base is you know, thousands of years old, and it's super vast. When you get into adaptogens, again, that's a fairly uh, new and developing um, category of medicine. So I think we're, we're just starting to understand this new category of herbs. So there's a lot of overlap, but, but they are definitely different. I would say that not all adaptogens are Rasayanas and not all Rasayanas are adaptogens. So, um, so it, it's, it's incredibly interesting. I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I do have experience uh, in, in working with these substances in India. Um, and uh, they do a lot of things in India that we wouldn't do necessarily in the U.S. As an example, they, they use Rasayana therapies that, that have, um, as an example, mercury or other heavy metals attached to them because they know how to work with these substances and they know how to bring out the medicinal qualities in the substances so they're not harmful to the body. So is this so interesting. I mean, I can go a number of different directions, which which I will not go a number of different directions. But when you um, when you talk about um, Rasayana, and then we also talk about that in the context of adaptogens, uh, we're talking about broad based approaches to health and um, really to target it, to target constitutional health and wellness, um, but adaptogens, which is a more recent phenomenon, um, are seeming to focus a little bit more targetedly um, in a Western manner towards a measurable effect. Um, yeah. So with that in mind, I mean, when supplementing or adding or consuming, we'll just say consuming uh, certain uh, Rasayana uh, plants, um, is it important, is it optimal, I guess, to consume those with other, uh, with other plants or with other ingredients, or is it efficacious, um, because there's such a broad-based benefit, to be able to consume a sole plant um, if it's formulated or formed well um, for benefit? Does it, so does it, does it matter, and why does it matter if it matters? Um, if it's formulated yeah. alone or formulated with other plants and substances. Yeah, that, that's interesting. You know, I think the Ayurvedic approach really is to look at synergies. 
you know, as an example, the traditional way to use botanicals in India is to use these milk decoctions, you know, and so they, they would boil, as an example, ashwagandha with water and milk, you know, for a very long uh, amount of time so that you get the essence of the milk attached to the herb. And milk and other ingredients such as, you know, ghee or other therapeutic oils, they have healing properties and they help to drive these medicines deeper into the bodies and into specific tissues. So adding milk as an example really helps to bring out some of the nutritive properties of ashwagandha. And so that's traditionally how they're, they're done. Ayurveda really looks at how can we bring out the magic of this botanical using other food substances or other herbs. I think from a very Western standpoint, we like to isolate things and really understand that one substance um, as, it, as it is by itself. And so we would look at just ashwagandha, no milk, no other synergistic ingredients. We want to know ashwagandha, a specific form at a specific dose, how the body reacts to that. And we would try to isolate that so that we can really understand that from a scientific standpoint. So I think they're two very different approaches. I don't think any one is more correct or more right. Um, I think there's benefit in all of that. Obviously, if you're working with synergy and you're working with combinations of foods and herbs, um, you need to work with somebody who really understands that so they can really bring out the magic uh, of that herb. But, you know, oftentimes it's just good to play it safe and to, to work with one ingredient to understand how your body responds to that one ingredient over time. That was a great explanation. Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, before we start to wrap up our conversation here, if you are able to comment at all on some of the latest clinical science supporting the effects of supplemental ashwagandha, specifically, on stress factors and how that's really addressing uh, some of the some of the metabolic factors that you were bringing up earlier, like cortisol, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, so so, I mean, we could talk all day about that. It's it's really interesting, you know. So just taking one step back before I dive into that, you know, ashwagandha, um, it, it's its Latin name is Withania somnifera, and the in essence, what that means is uh, that it that, that can be translated as. Uh, the sleeping scientist. So ashwagandha has this really interesting calming property overall. Um, not all adaptogens tend to be stimulating overall, but ashwagandha seems to have this really interesting effect where it provides calm energy. And by that I mean people feel energized, but at the same point they feel relaxed and they feel um, at ease and balanced. So if you use as an example, Korean red ginseng, it's super hot, it's super stimulating. You know, if you take just a little bit of that in supplemental form, um, it, it, it often acts like speed. And for some people that's, that's super therapeutic and for other people it can really push them over the edge. So I find that ashwagandha is, is incredibly balanced, it's incredibly neutral and it's incredibly mellow. And I think that's important in this modern times. I think most of us, are overstimulated, overexcited, and we need that counterbalance, which ashwagandha really provides. Um, for, strictly from a scientific standpoint, we're learning a lot about ashwagandha. We understand that when you ingest ashwagandha, it seems to have this GABA mimetic 
or GABA promoting effect. So it binds to the GABA receptors and it, it, it does the same thing that GABA does inside the body. And GABA is really this uh, inhibitory neurotransmitter that, that is kind of like a brake system for your nervous system. It just helps to quiet everything down. And so naturally, when you start taking ashwagandha, you feel that relaxing, calming, GABA-like effect. Um, so in part, that's how it's working. Um, we know that it's helping to modify your hormone system and helping to tonify your adrenal glands so that you can produce these chemicals, these uh, stress hormones more efficiently, um, whether it's producing more or producing less. As an in, in example, if you produce too much cortisol, we know that ashwagandha can suppress that and lower the amount of cortisol uh, in the body. And we also know that adaptogens in general and, and ashwagandha in particular seems to have this mitochondrial effect. So we know that it's global, it's, it's increasing hormones in the body, but it's also increasing mitochondrial cellular energy output. So it's increasing ATP function on the cellular level. So that has, I think, enormous implications in several fields, you know, for stress management, for sports performance, for sexual function, and on and on. And so I think we're starting to understand a lot of those different implications. Um, some of the, the, the interesting research on ashwagandha is happening, again, in, in a lot of these different areas. I, I think ashwagandha has its greatest value, I think, for stress management overall. Um, and there are studies showing that, you know, using, as an example, a KSM 66 branded extract um, it has very specific effects in the body. You know, it can lower cortisol levels significantly. Um, it can lower perceived stress in healthy individuals. Um, it can lower anxiety. It can improve quality of life. Um, it has these very broad-acting stress-reducing effects inside the body, which is quite amazing. You know, but then the interesting thing is that it's not only in stress that it has its benefits. So we're seeing benefits for... Um, male sexual function, female sexual function, uh, testosterone boosting effects, um, increase in muscle strength in athletes, um, you know, in, increase in cognition. So it definitely has this broad acting effect on the body. And I think that um, like all adaptogens, it really gives you what you need. Meaning, if you, Fran, if you take an adaptogen, I think that you'll experience that adaptogen in a different way than I would because your body has different needs than I do. So in cases where ashwagandha might bring me up, it might actually work to bring you down. But ultimately, it's working to bring us both to the same homeostatic balanced place um, where, you know, where you basically can create health and wellness inside the body. I know that we can talk about this all day most certainly, and um, we can't talk all day. Uh, so I wanted to just give you another final opportunity to see if there's anything else you wanted to add for the audience to consider or ponder related to Ayurveda and ashwagandha and stress. Anything else? And uh, don't feel like you need to add anything, but if you do, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, you know, ashwagandha is, is hands down my favorite botanical. You know, I've been taking it probably for 20 years. It definitely got me through uh, medical school. Um, I find a lot of value in it uh, day in and day out. I take it every single morning. 
it is literally the one thing that I do every day consistently. And, you know, the, the one note that I would want to say is that I find that, that too often people make the mistake of not using the right type of botanical for the right amount of time at the right dose. Um, and I, I find that people take often too little of an herb for too short amount of time. They, they take, as an example, one pill of ashwagandha before their, their date at night, and, and they expect that night to actually see the results from that one pill. And, you know, these, these botanicals really aren't magic pills at all. They, they definitely are more food-like than anything, and I think that we need to, to use them as food. So it's really the, the everyday consistent use of these botanicals as food which allows them to create benefits inside the body. So ashwagandha in particular is a very slow-building nutritive tonic that can take a week to work, but really it's, it's, it's taking it day in and day out for the course of months where you're really going to see the benefits. So my, my recommendation is to choose your herbs wisely, to dose big, to stick with them over an extended amount of time, and then just to see how your body responds to them. So, I so appreciate those comments, and I will also add that I do consume ashwagandha in a pizza formulation uh, for me on a daily basis too, and I won't go on with testimonial on that, but I, I can attest to the benefits of, of persistent consuming in a food form. Thank you again, Nick, and thank you all for listening and learning today. You've been listening to the Ashwagandha Advantage podcast. For more information on this and other related health benefits, please visit us at ashwagandhaadvantage.com. 